podcast where we read the 1001 books the experts say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they are really worth your time. I'm Chelsea, a lover of Harry Potter and any fantasy book with a strong female lead. And I'm Nicole, also a lover of Harry Potter and any book with any time travel in it of any type. All the time travel. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to book 39, Chelsea. Yay! Pretty exciting. Um, what have you been reading lately besides book 39? I actually finally finished um, Kingdom of Ash by Sarah J. Mass. So I'm Ooh. 100% done with the Throne of Glass series. And I feel like um, I've read both of her series. And I feel like this series had a more satisfying ending. Yes. Um, in regards to the Court of Thrones and Roses series, if you're comparing them. Um, which I think just shows that she's matured a little bit as a writer as an author and knows more how to end those series in a way where it feels like the stakes were real and there was some risk she's definitely not perfect at it yet um but I felt a lot more satisfied yeah and I think she's not she's announced that now she's writing a series for adults right that's like a fantasy book kind of a steampunky world so I'm I've had expectations for those books yeah I'm pretty excited about it I hope that she um grows in kind of her world building mm-hmm. um I feel like the last two books in Throne of Glass really did really did that they grew in the world building kind of aspect yeah. and so I think that she's starting to learn that skill so. yeah and I think the Court of Throne and Roses and Throne of Glass are in similar but different worlds but very similar magic structures and, and things and so kind of like parallel universes yeah, so it'll be interesting to see her drop into something that's totally different I'm, yeah I feel like that'll be exciting um, I recently read a book called Summer Wives by Beatriz Williams, which I read many of her books. This uh-huh. is her most recent one. And it was really good. I think I read it in one day because we had it was snowing and I was stuck <laughs> inside. And it's about um, – it's like has parallel timelines, which I love. And it's about like a woman who like she went to this very exclusive island like off the you know Cape of uh-huh. Massachusetts when she was young because her – Um, mom was getting remarried in like the 50s when she's 17 and she falls in love with like the inappropriate poor Uh boy and then something terrible happens and then now she's coming back to the island at like 35 um to because and she's a famous actress and and she's getting divorced so she's kind of come to hide away from the press and recover emotionally and then also kind of unravel what happened when she was 17 um, sounds interesting. Yeah, it was really good. It it reminded me um, of like other books. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. a totally unique idea, but it was still really fun to read. So that's good marks for me. Sometimes that's all that matters. Yeah. 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 Um, so we'll get into our book this week. We read The God of Small Things by, uh, do you want to give this name a stab? <laughs> Arundhati Roy. Yes. It was written in 1997. Uh, this is an Indian author, and it's just 321 pages. Yeah, and it um, because it was written in 1997, it reads really modern. Oh, yeah. It was an sure. easy read. Um, really easy. Yeah. Really recent book. It uh, also is the winner of the Booker Prize. Right, which we have uh, hit and miss yeah. feelings about that prize. So. so moving into our one-word descriptions, what word would you use to describe this book? I said family ties. I said consequences. Okay. Um, and so 
I always want to describe our one word thing right away, but we can talk about it in our spoiler section. Before we get to that, though, we should give you a little bit of a quick plot for this novel. So this book is told in two timelines, and we look at the lives of twins in the 1980s India over the course of two weeks that change the trajectory of their lives. And then we flash forward to the today setting where we see kind of the fallout of those two weeks. Um, we're going to get into spoilers. It's really hard to talk about this book without having spoilers because it's complex. It's complex <laughs> and kind of the like catalyst event is the spoiler um, that you have to talk about. So yeah. if you intend on reading it, I would tune out now. As always, time frame will be in this the show notes um, and you can tune back in for our special segment after. Great. All right. So let's get into it. The God of Small Things. Yeah. So. So this book. This book. <laughs> initial thoughts. Yeah. Um, I said this book is all about consequences as my one word just because um, looking in on kind of the spoiler is that a cousin comes to live with these two twins and um, she drowns in the river that's on kind of the banks of their home Um and when she drowns, it also has this really bad timing of being around their mother, having an affair with a woman, or with a <laughs> woman, with a man. <laughs> who's an untouchable. Who's an untouchable in India. And so um, he gets blamed kind of for what happened in this situation, even though he had no fault in it, but simply because he's an untouchable. And, and he, he had dared to with, sleep yeah, with a touchable person. A touchable person. And so... Um, in the trajectory of like two weeks, these poor twins' lives are kind of just destroyed by a series of accidents. Yeah. Um, and they're seven. They're, they're really seven, little yeah. still. Yeah. And the consequences of those accidents have this like wide reaching trajectory in that you're looking in at the twins at age 31 in the other parts of the novel and their lives have basically been destroyed by this. Yeah, because, like, not long after, like, they're, they're, one of them is sent away, and then their mom dies, and then they're, like, haven't seen each other, basically, since they were seven. And right before it, one of them was sexually assaulted, yeah. and then um, he goes mute, essentially, yeah. after all this, From when he's trauma. sent to live with his abusive father for the next 20 years. Um, and then the other daughter, the daughter, the other twin, just kind of, like, floats through this life where she's not really wanted anywhere anymore because her mother dies basically from the heartache and illness from what mm -hmm. happened and so it's just that the consequences of yeah. this one and the last thing their mom really said to them before everything went down was like my life's falling apart and it's your fault uh and so it's just like there's like lots and lots of trauma in the book i said yeah. my word is family ties because this book is a it's very much in its place so they're like placed in India, uh -huh. they're placed um, in a particular subgroup of Indian Christians mm -hmm. in that that are in this like one region in India that are Syrian Christians, and then the, and then they're like in this family um, that has this history of of being more of an upper class family and um, honor like have a high rank during in the colonial system when mm -hmm. the colony and uh, and then it's like they have these twins and it's in the, but the twins are the product of a marriage where the mom like married against the families um, once and, and and you know and then she's back home and because that a marriage divorce has, was involved has failed. which that's yeah. very taboo and so it's very much in its place but it's all about all these overlapping relationships of duty and love mm -hmm. and like anger and within this like large extended family yeah uh, and so I think it's like the family, all their interconnected relationships are like a 
product and a symbol of the like India and the diversity in Indian's yeah. culture and all the overlapping things about colonialism and communism is in this book again. I died. <laughs> like every Ugh. book we read. Um, and so, and I had never even thought about communism in India. No, and the um, class system played yeah. a large role in this yeah. as well. And so the, the book is really well written. Like it's very mm-hmm. lyrical. And I was reading in the afterward interview with the author like this book got banned mm-hmm. um and censored in india um and so it was controversial when it was published yeah um in pretty recent times and it seemed like this book um i was when i was thinking about this book i kept thinking back to life as a caravan sarai oh yeah um because this novel was very circular and that the end felt like the middle mm-hmm. um, because it just kind of stops at a moment in the twins' lives. Um, and it just kind of stops at the moment right after uh, the man that the mother is sleeping with is killed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it ends in the middle. Um, and it kind of starts in the middle, too. And so I, I felt like it... it reminded me a lot of life as a caravan Sarai in that that it was yeah. supposed to be really the story was the point of the story but there wasn't an end or a beginning really um, yeah, and kind of the same way that when we read life as a caravan Sarai we were like oh like I bet the stru- this structure is reflecting something in Turkish culture that but we just don't know what it is because we're not familiar and in this case I have read other books by Indian authors and I'm like yes you see this kind of structure a lot for whatever reason, in books that come out of India, English and language books. I feel like, interestingly, I think if I had read this one first and then read Life as a Caravan Sarai, it wouldn't have been... I still don't think I would have liked it. Don't get me wrong. But you would have been able to get more It wouldn't have it. been as hard because once I fell into the rhythm of this book, it does have a little bit of a reminiscence to like the rhythm of Life as a Caravan Sarai. Yeah. Um, but it was just easier for me to access. Yeah. I think, A, it was written better. Just like point blank, I think the writing was better in this yeah. book. Um, and B it had some of those westernized things that I'm familiar with, like chapter breaks and stuff like that. Well, and I think it was originally written in English. Mm-hmm. It's not a translation. So it wasn't a translation. So that makes a difference, too. And it, the fact that it's so lyrical and beautiful, yeah. the language and the rhythm, like that's, you know, you But I wonder that if that's how Life is a Caravanserai reads in, in Turkish. Turkish. Yeah, probably, right? Um, <laughs> so it did kind of reminded me of that novel um, and of, like, some of the points I thought that novel was trying to make about, like, kind of the starkness of poverty and family ties and rapidly changing countries mm-hmm. um and so i really liked that we got to read this and kind of already had a little bit of a basis in another book similar to that yeah or not not similar but with like same veins yeah in the same vein yeah, yeah. i feel like the most interesting thing question this book is asking is like you know this this the book like you said the book kind of starts in the middle and finishes in the middle and you fill in like the mm-hmm. past and the future in between and um and it's kind of the book I feel like the book is kind of asking the question like do we know when an event happens that's going to fundamentally alter our entire lives can we be aware of that in the moment Mm -hmm. or is it only possible to see in retrospect and what composes an event that is going to totally alter our lives yeah um which is crazy because it I feel I feel like I'm mostly the school is I don't think you can really know uh, yeah you know if it what like 
we don't live enough in the moment to be able to be like, oh, yeah, this is this is changing the trajectory of my life right now. And particularly if it happens when you're a child, like these characters, it's just you you're just in the flow of the situation. Well, and that was kind of seen in that even in the characters as an adult, you could tell that they hadn't really processed that that was the thing. Right, because when it happened, they didn't have the mental mm-hmm. capacity to process it because they just weren't there developmentally, and now it's too late, or like it's it's too yeah. hidden in kind of the veil under the veil of childhood, you know. And it was really interesting. So we kind of chatted about this before we started recording, but there's a scene in the novel where it alludes to the twins when they reconnect that as they adults. as adults that they had sex, um, and it was interesting because inherently it did not feel like that was something based off some gross, like sexual, like, uh, like what's the word I'm looking for? Like it didn't feel like it was based off a sexual need. It felt like it was based off of them not having the skill set because they were never given a skill set on how to connect with people. And the only way they remembered how to connect with each other from childhood was through touch. Mm -hmm. And then as adults, um, because that had been so fucked up in their whole lives. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they ended up having like an incestuous relationship that isn't ever spoken about again. Cause it ends in the middle. You don't know where that goes or yeah. if that was just their reconnecting or it was interesting because it was the first time I've read incest and not been like immediate, like trigger point. I was just like, Oh no, these poor children. Even though yeah. they were adults in that scene, these poor children. Yeah, and it, and it was it felt like I don't know if that's what would really happen in real life, no. but it felt like in the poetic way the book was written, it made sense. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I didn't think about that until you said that. I feel like other books we've read, like The Witness, for example, that had uh-huh. incestuous stuff in it. It was revolting. It was a visceral reaction and horrifying. And this is kind of like yeah, like that. They need like. This is an outpouring of their emotional mm-hmm. need to connect in the only way that they feel like they can, um, which I do never think incest is that in real life. Ever. No, 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 no. But <laughs> but the in the poetical written, nature of the book, it makes it it fits in with the narrative. Narrative. Well, and it was interesting too because it made you think like, how stunted did this moment in time really make them that they had never made another meaningful connection either of them in their whole lives. Yeah. Like the sister had gotten married and it still hadn't been a meaningful connection. Um, All of their relationships with adults were really messed up. Their only meaningful connection prior to that had been the man that the mother ended up sleeping with and the mother. And both of those were ripped away in various ways from them. And so it was just it was really interesting. I thought it was an interesting study of like, yeah, they really don't understand yeah, and I thought it was also, like, the other part of the book that I thought made it interesting was, like, the setting in this, like, uh, India is changing and, mm-hmm. you know, what is, un- it's how much is being untouchable still a thing? And I know it is still a thing even now. This yeah. is 20 years ago. But the, that, like, some people were more open and, mm-hmm. like, untouchables were joining the Communist Party because they were more open. But then, but then like, fundamentally... <laughs> excuse me, in the bedrock of the community. It was just like, well, they're just untouchable. Yeah. Um, and like how the community was trying to address that and how, and like, it, it felt like a book about that part felt like a book about um, slavery or mm-hmm. Jim Crow at times um, where it's, it feels like it's embedded in the, in the pressing power mm-hmm. that like, well, these are just fundamental facts. Yeah. And, um, 
So I think well, oh, I think that yeah. that like setting really helped the book. That was really interesting did. too, because in the scene where um, the man that the children are friends with, and that the mother ends up having uh, not an affair, she's not married. The mother ends up having a relationship with. Um, when the police find him, and brutally beat him before arresting him there's this whole thing about how they they aren't doing it with anger they aren't doing it with malice they're just doing it because that's what you can do to an untouchable right which and it was like horrifying in its poignancy like there was no feeling behind it because that cast of people had been so dehumanized that that's just what you did yeah well it's like i work with people with disabilities for a living and once when I was early and working in this field, I went to our state still has institutions where people with disabilities live. But you know, unlike in the 50s, you just automatically send your baby mm-hmm. there. But now it's kind of like an aging population that has not yet been resettled. And there's like a contingent of people who really want to keep them open. But most people that do what mm-hmm. I do think that they should be closed because it's a lot of money that could and then could be spent in better ways to yeah. house people in the community. Uh, and these aren't people who are like extremely medically, medically fragile or something. Yeah. But so I went to this institution that has, you know, been there. It's kind of a farm um, since the you know 40s or 50s. And now the people who live there live kind of more in apartment style buildings but Mm -hmm. we went into the old buildings that were more like hospital wards and they felt uh, and now they're like mostly like storage you know and they but but they felt really haunted and horrible and and there was a museum and the lady who was giving me the tour um was like oh yeah like see this kid in this picture and it was like a small toddler with Mm -hmm. made with down syndrome and she was like yeah he just passed away last week it was so sad I loved him Uh and I was like he lived there his whole life and she just was like couldn't did not see that as the tragedy that it totally is um and and that just made me think more about like in we know that in institutions like that for any population lots of abuse happens and but I feel like whenever you feel like you have power over someone Mm -hmm. like people I feel like it's totally wrong but I feel like I think anybody could turn into an abuser in that situation even the best person because it's not good to have power over people like that and um and you in that kind of when it's an institutional thing and you're taking care of someone's bathroom needs it's like you feel better than them right and and it becomes dehumanizing so much um that then she didn't even question that like not that she was abuser but she didn't even question that like could he have done something different with his life because he probably could have you know it just Um, was what it just was what it was and uh and there has been scandals at the institution for abuse in the past um recent past and so it's just i think that it's it's really easy to like dehumanize someone in the way that this character is dehumanized mm-hmm. where she's like, well, yeah, this is what you do. Yeah. Like I can take advantage of you. I've served people with disabilities who've been raped by people who were paid professional caregivers and stuff. You know, like it's that stuff happens all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and this horrible. was a whole cast of people yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. And like lots of, I mean, before India was conquered by the British, it had several different but many like powerful kingdoms right Mm -hmm. and and it seems like many major like empires and societies always have to have a group like that in order to rise to dominance right america had slaves and depressed native americans like Mm -hmm. india had the untouchables you know um great britain had colonialism yeah like how like it's and before even before that yeah uh, their battles against like the scots and yeah uh, yeah the what's their there's another group of people the welsh the welsh yeah (laughs) like in australia those people were sent as the bottom of the barrel the white australians to australia but then they still oppressed the like aborigines you know it's um 
it's crazy. Like the world is a terrible place. <laughs> the dynamics of power are just yeah. It's never yeah. You shouldn't be in a situation. We shouldn't try to create situations where you have absolute power over someone. No. Um, it makes bad things happen. That's the point of that story. Yes, <laughs> and I think it, it oftentimes it was interesting too because in that novel um, and in situations like what you're talking about, mm. um, the person who's doing those terrible things didn't inherently start out as a bad person, Mm-mm. but it's a symptom of having that power or having that ability to dehumanize people. Yeah, um, I think a lot of times people who do bad things or are perpetrators of kind of institutionalized racism or classism don't intentionally set out to be bad people, but that power over time is so corrupting in subtle ways and dehumanizing in subtle ways um, that it makes things like that possible. Yeah. Like if you, I mean, think of like Nazi Germany, like the whole population of Germany, Germany is not inherently bad people. Um, but over the course of 15 years, Jewish people were dehumanized so much that they were able to exterminate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so it's just, it's really, it's interesting to see it in a part of the world, um, that we don't normally read about. Like, we don't, I don't, don't know as well. We yeah. don't know as well. Um, it's not a Western history to read about. Um, so it was just, yeah. it was really interesting. You know what book really captures that for Germany? I feel like is the book thief. Because you like the main family that takes in the main girl is like a German family, like a working class family, uh-huh. and uh, and they're they're victims too of like the Nazi yeah. state, you know. And so uh, most books I like don't touch on that. Yeah, no, yeah. I really, I uh, we I know love you love book. the book. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna try not to go into. <laughs> let me talk about the book. Um, yeah, I mean, I wish can someone compile like a what books do we mention the yeah. most? <laughs> let me know. Um, yeah, so I, I really liked this book. Yeah. I, I was, thought, oh, sorry, go ahead. I thought it was a really good book. I thought it took me about 50 pages to get into it. Yes. Because you had to get in the rhythm. Mm-hmm. It had a unique rhythm. But yeah. then once I got into it, I really enjoyed it. I wanted to know what happened to the kids. I did listen to part of this on audiobook. I wouldn't recommend that. Um, because this book is really lyrical, there's a lot of things that are told like with page break kind of stuff mm-hmm. or really rhythmic, like it's the kids are talking in song or they're saying sentences backwards. And if you're not physically reading that, you don't understand it. So I listened to the first 30 pages on audiobook and I was so freaking confused <laughs> that I then had to like re-skim read them yeah. to read it. And then after I'd like read sections, I could like listen for audio for like 15 minutes and then read some more and I could do it because I had the rhythm down. Yeah. But it's not a book you can just like turn on the audio and be like fine with. Yeah. Just just disclaimer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I read this book kind of in two chunks pretty far apart because we delayed recording uh-huh. for a few reasons, a few times. And But I still like... I had like a hybrid, like a hundred pages in the second chunk, and and it, I still was like a, that was like enough. Yeah, but you took it takes it took me like twenty pages to yeah. get like re back into it. Um, I was gonna read my favorite quote from this book, or at least one that I, the one that I marked, um, because it made me think. We were just telling a friend this weekend that. Um, Every, like, two or three episodes on this podcast, we, like, disappear into a rant where we're like, reading is so important, and reading these books is changing us, and it's making us better, and, like, yeah. they're teaching us how to think, and even when we don't like them, and, we like, I mean, if you're a regular listener, you've heard us, um, but this quote really reminded me of that, so I'm going to read it. 
Um, and it's from a part of the book where they're watching some dancers that tell like traditional oh, Indian yeah. stories and they're describing that. Um, it didn't matter that the story had begun because the Kathakali, the dancers, discovered long ago that the secret of great stories is that they have no secrets. The great stories are the ones you have heard and want to hear again, the ones you can enter anywhere and inhabit comfortably. Comfortably, They don't deceive you with thrills and trick endings. They don't surprise you with the unforeseen. They are as familiar as the house you live in or the smell of your lover's skin. You know how they end, yet you listen as though you don't. In the way that although they know that in the way that although you know that one day you will die, you live as though you won't. In the great stories, you know who lives, who dies, who finds love, and who doesn't, and yet you want to know again. Yeah, it's so good. Which I was like, that's, I feel like books that we put on the list, regardless of like taste or like genre or what part of the world mm-hmm. they're from, we're putting them on the list because we think they are great stories. Yeah. And that's like capitalizing the book, capital G, capital S, because they're part of like the human story, like they capture something in the human story that you want to hear again and again. Yeah. Um, that made me think of at the beginning of the story, I'm beginning to appreciate when books do this because I almost always understand why the quote's there after I finish reading Yeah, I love that feature, um, yeah. There was a quote by John Berger, who I don't know who that is. Uh, Cool, a guy. What did he say? (laughs) But he said, never again will a single story be told as though it's not, as though it's the only one. Yeah, I like want to put that in my quote journal. I really like that. (laughs) I think that that's kind of like the point of our like podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Like that no, no single story is the best, most important story. They all kind of build in and build this thing together and so yeah and like just because you didn't like whatever book was assigned to you in high school because it didn't feel like it was about you doesn't mean there isn't a book out there that's going to connect to your soul you know yeah. see and we're doing see we're doing it right now i know <laughs> i know yeah all right so um i guess we should make our recommendations or for how, whether we should who should read it yes okay so let's do that so I think that this book would be really good for people who like lyrical writing. Yes. Um, and really good for people who are interested in kind of like family stories that aren't necessarily happy. Like those complex family stories that aren't. Yeah. And I think I would steer you away from this book if you need a plot to be really, really linear mm-hmm. or you hate it. Um, this book is not linear. And that's what's beautiful about it. But if that's like you hate that in general, I don't wouldn't spend yeah, time I on wouldn't this one. read this one either. Yeah. Um, so let's decide if we think it should go on the list. All right. You have your answer. I have my answer. Okay. One, one two, two, three. three. Yes. yes. I like this. I book. like it. Too. I think it belonged on the list. I think that it um, did a really beautiful job of what it was trying to do. Yeah, I think it's just, um, it's an easy read, but it touches on a lot of deep stuff. And I think mm-hmm. it said something important, like we've talked about. Um, and I think it's a good, I, I remember reading another book in college that was by an Indian author and it was hard. I can't remember what it was called. I was trying to think, I thought it was this book until we started reading it. I was like, nope, I haven't read this. Um, it might've been Midnight Children. Well, no, I've never heard um, of it. Which I, I'm not positive that's what it was. But I, it was hard to read. Like, it, it felt inaccessible in the same way that Life is a Caravan Sarai did. And so yeah. I feel like if this is a good Indian book, that's mm-hmm. it, that's in English that is accessible. Yeah. I also felt like um, it's a good diverse book that was put on here because it's a good book, not just because it was a representation of a country. Yeah. Um, which is always nice um, because... 
I think that that adds to the quality of the list a lot when you have good, good diverse books that are really making people interested in reading about different cultures. Yeah. So um, we've started a thing where we're rating books that we put on the list, each of us on a scale from zero to 10 to kind of know where they stand versus all the other books we've read. And so what is this for you on a scale of zero to 10? I would say, I would say it's an eight. I thought it was really solid or yeah, an eight. That's higher than the elegance of the hedgehog. You only gave that a seven. Ooh, then I want it to be a seven. <laughs> I was like, you love the elegance of the hedgehog. No, it's a seven. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to give it. Uh, I think I'm going to give it a six. I gave elegance of the hedgehog and fear of flying sixes recently, so I think that's reasonable. Okay. Um. Okay. Well, uh, moving on to our second segment. It is now February when we're recording this. As probably of recording. March yeah. when you're listening. <laughs> um, so we're going to do a check-in on our goals and how they're going for the year because we are a sixth of the way done. Yeah. So if you um, remember our first mini so at the beginning of this year, we each set three personal life reading goals. Yeah. Mine were to read 100 books, read three poetry books, and read the all the books that won Goodreads categories for 2018. What were your three? And mine were to finish Brandon Sanderson's Body of Works, to read 100 books, and to DNF books that I wasn't feeling like they were worth reading after 100 pages. All right, yeah. I was supposed to ask you in the podcast, like, well, if you don't like it, why are you reading it? We can talk about it, it, though. (laughs) Okay, so how are you doing on those goals? I've read... As of this book, which I haven't put on Goodreads yet, 20 books this year. Wow. That's a lot. Because we're really only like six weeks into the yeah, year as we're at this 20, recording. So I'm way on pace for Yeah. You might books. hit the 120 if you kept this up, but you probably won't because you're getting married. Yeah. <laughs> you got a lot going on in the next couple months. <laughs> um, so I am doing really well at that. I have read two Brandon Sanderson books, so I'm like wow. chugging along. That's um, impressive. Granted, I read really short, easy ones rather than diving into the longer ones, but <laughs> hey, it'll come. Progress is progress. Uh, and in terms of DNFing, I luckily haven't come across one that I've wanted to DNF yet. I think that I will be able to do it, um, but I've just had I've had books where I've gotten to the last ten pages, and I was like, God damn it, that wasn't worth it. <laughs> but not books where I knew before I got there that it wasn't going to be worth it. So I've had all a couple right. of bad endings, but none that I've been like, Yeah, not this yeah. wasn't worth reading at all. Uh, okay, well, let's see. I have read sixteen books this year, which I feel like is a pretty standard ratio for us. Yeah. Um. So that's been going great. Definitely doing the reading weekend, which you'll have heard about in the episode previous to this one um that helped a lot I feel mm-hmm. like that really upped my totals um but yeah so I'm feeling good about that totally on track it's definitely at, I feel like at a greater pace than I was last year I haven't counted but it feels yeah. like it um and let's see I've wanted to read three poetry books I've read one that you loaned me mm-hmm. um the princess saves herself in this one which I really liked and I have another one on hold the library right now I want a Maya Angelou's like collected oh, poems nice. so I want to read that and I think I put another one on hold too but I can't think of who the author is so because I have been like wanting to read poetry mm-hmm. since reading that book so um but I just I feel like I don't know where to go to look for like good poetry good or like reads. the poetry that I like, you know, or you just how to do... sift through what's on Goodreads to find. No, there's some, there's like lists and um, there's. Cause I really like more modern stuff yeah. that is, feels kind of like it would be a spoken word. Poem, so if so. you click on like on Goodreads in case you listeners use this, if you click on a, um, a book, so like if you go to the princess saves herself on this one, you can go 
and it'll say like lists it's included in and a lot of times those will be like lists oh. of similar things or it'll say readers who read this often also read. read that's a good idea that's how i found that one was by i was reading a different poet i liked and that one came oh, up oh okay so that sounds good. I'll try that. Uh, listeners, if you have any recommendations, definitely contact us. <laughs> I'll read them. And then for reading, I went through the whole list of 2018 winners in all the categories, and I put them on my like to be read list at the library or on hold if mm-hmm. they had a long wait. Um, I skipped a few categories because I was like, I still shouldn't. Life is short. Yeah. So like the book that read won the like science book was about dinosaurs. And I was like, like I don't care interested. about this at all. <laughs> and um, some of the books I had already read that one. Um, I haven't won out that one Elevation by Stephen King. Mm-hmm. That, um, that either read, I think that one sci-fi. Uh, and so I have that out from the library right now. I haven't started it. And then I did st- uh, start a book, Circe. C-I-R-C-E that won a category last year was it good I DNF'd it I I read the first hundred pages like in two sittings and I just thought it was so boring and people love it people love it on Goodreads people love it on Litzy it was all the rage and I'm not that into like Greek or Roman mythology is that what it really Um, is and I definitely think if you were into that, you would like it more. But also, I thought it was because I didn't know the original stories that well, the original myths. Mm-hmm. I think it's supposed to be like a feminist twist on these myths, but I don't know the myths. And oh. so to me, it just felt like a retelling of the myth. And that Got was boring. It. And so I um, I gave it up and I was just like, well, this is not a great start. But I also feel like, you know, life is short and there's lots of good stuff out there. And I feel like there, DNFing so it still counts towards your goal. Oh, for sure. So. Yeah. So, and I, yeah. So I don't know how many categories I finished so far, but every book that I have either read or I've got it on hold the library. So I'm, I'm thinking about it. So I think nice. I'll be able to do it. <laughs> Perfect. Well, um, we should let you know what we're reading next week yes. and draw our next book. Dun, 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 dun. Oh my gosh! It's Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> ah. uh, this is the first book we've drawn that we've both, well, either of us, we've never drawn a book that we've read before. Yeah. Um. So we both read this in high school in the same class. <laughs> yep. In what, like tenth, tenth, grade. tenth grade? Um. So that'll be interesting to read it. Um. What are your memories of this book? Um. I remember that I didn't like it very much and that there's a carousel and a red hat. Oh. And like the kid Holden, I I mean, I know his name from like pop culture, Holden Caulfield. He like wanders around New York. Yeah. I remember that. I remember liking it, but not loving it and feeling like it was definitely like a boy book, whatever Mm -hmm. that meant to 15 year old me. I definitely have that impression. And I don't know if it's just, I don't know why I've gotten that since. Like, I think we've actually kind of shit talked this book on the podcast a little bit, but but I don't really remember much about it. Yeah, Out of the books that we read in high school, it's definitely not in my bottom. Like it's probably in the top half of like assigned Mm -hmm. reading. Um, (laughs) And I remember the like part where he's like, I just want to be the catcher in the rye. It's just the kids are just running off and I out the field and I catch them, but I don't remember what that anything is. else about it. So I'm kind of excited to reread it. Um, this is definitely a book that I've had on, had on my shelves for years from the one I bought in high school and probably just got rid of like two years ago. So I now I get to buy it again. <laughs> but I bet it'll be really cheap because everybody buys this book yeah. in high school. So it'll be interesting to see if we think it's a book you're supposed to read before you die and a book that every teenager in America should really be assigned to read. Yeah, we're pretty excited about it. So yeah. if you want to connect with us before next week, you can find us. 
on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at 1001BooksPod and on Litzy at 1001BooksPodcast or email us at 1001BooksPodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, happy happy reading. reading. Welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we review 1001 books. I'm your guest host, Jeremy. Our book some other week is Catcher (laughs) in the Rye. Holden Caulfield. (laughs) Profanity. Fan (laughs) book. (laughs) Check it out.